Hello, and welcome to our weekly podcast of Who's Here in the Hamptons. I'm Dan Retiner, your host, broadcasting from my home in the Hamptons, where I have lived for over 55 years. I've written a dozen books about this glorious place, and I've seen it grow through the years from small tourist towns, quaint fishing villages, and a summer playground for eyes society, to what it is today, a world-class resort for celebrities, artists, musicians, authors, and billionaires. In my podcast, I will bring you interviews with not only these people, but also prominent local people who have helped shape the Hamptons. This month is Black History Month, and I'm doing a series on people who've made a difference. And uh, today I'm talking to Donna Marie Barnes, who is the curator at uh, the Sylvester Manor on Shelter Island. There's a certain irony about that because Sylvester Manor had slaves and there was a slave uh, cemetery there, but we'll get to that. I know the story, so rather than tell it to you, I'll ask you about it. What is the significance of Sylvester Manor? Why is it important historically? Well, historically, Sylvester Manor is important today because it is uh, actually the most intact northern plantation remnant north of Virginia, meaning that uh, the land and the grounds and the manor house are an intact property that reflects the history that began as a European settlement in 1651 when Nathaniel Sylvester and his partners bought the island. Uh, before that, it was the ancestral home of the Manhansett people. So they bought this island, Shelter Island, uh, from a New England businessman who had never been there, and they paid him 1,600 pounds of Muscovado sugar. These partners were involved in the sugar industry on, on the island of Barbados in the West Indies, and they needed a way to import the foodstuffs and raw materials that they needed at, on the plantation in Barbados to feed the enslaved people there because all of the available land was used to grow sugarcane, which had become the greatest cash crop in the world. So that was the purpose of purchasing uh, this alternate location in the Northeast, why which was, was Shelter Island. Why was it so far away? What was the reason why it wouldn't be more close to the Caribbean? That's a great question. Part of the reason was because in what was known as triangle trade, so goods originating in the, in the West Indies were then brought up the coast of North America. There was uh, a lot of economic ties to the New England area. They were bringing molasses to Rhode Island that was then being turned distilled into rum. And then the trade went back to Europe. So it was a economically advantageous spot. Also just given the location of the island of Shelter Island, it was a protected in, uh, environment. So it had a lot to do with their trading partners and uh, the economy that was fueling both New England, New York, and the West Indies. My understanding was that they would make the furniture there. They would, there was a warehouse, there was a manufacturing. So all the things that went down to Barbados, which was pretty primitive at that time, was, went through Sylvester Manor. 
Is that correct? Um, yes, not so much the furniture and Barbados at that time was the crown in the British Empire's uh, colonies because, because of the sugar trade, because they were making so much money selling sugar to Europe. You have to understand, Europe gets introduced to sugar for the first time and loses its mind, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we haven't really recovered since. I've had that happen. Yes. Yeah, you know, the, our addiction to sugar. At the same time, coffee plantations in Southeast Asia, the tea production in, in, South, in India and South Asia, all of, the, all of these products are being imported into the English economy. And drinking tea or coffee without sweeteners was not really to anybody's taste. And so sugar became like that magic elixir. And so Barbados was not actually primitive at that time. They were building palatial plantation houses and owning uh, hundreds of acres of land and making um, just enormous amounts of money, enough money for them, for their children to then move back to England and build stately manors and huge estates. Uh, tell me about yourself and how, where, where you're from originally and where you were educated and sure. what, what your so, career has been. I grew up summering in Sag Harbor uh, and I grew up in the Bronx. I uh, went to Riverdale Country School and then to college at the Cooper Union School of Art and I became a photographer. And um, so I've always had a deep connection to the area growing up in uh, the Sands community of Nineveh where I've been, you know, basically all of my life here, spending every summer. And so, you know, growing up here uh, in summertime, uh, no matter where you grew up in the Hamptons, you are imbued with the history of the place. And so you always have a certain, you know, uh, going to the Whaling Museum as a child on a rainy day was the activity. So, you know, every child in South Harbor knew about whaling and tripods. Described the Nineveh and uh, that colony and what that was all about. Sure. So uh, we call it the Sands Community, which stands for South Harbor Hills, Azure Rest, and Nineveh Settlements. Was an area of South Harbor east of uh the village and east of the community called Eastville um, that was settled uh, by uh, professional African-American families post-World War II into the beginning of uh, the 1950s. And people were coming from the city looking for second homes, buying land, building modest homes, um, and bringing their families here to summer. And my parents were among those who came in the 50s and bought land on what, is, uh, and what was called Chatfield Hills on Lighthouse Lane. And uh, as soon as I was born, literally, I came to Sag Harbor for the summer and have been coming, been here ever since. Did you know Colin Whitehead? He's quite famous. Colson Whitehead? Yes, yeah. Colson is a little bit younger than me. So we didn't really grow up together. Um, our parents knew each other, um, and I have met him, uh, you know, now. Also, I, I, my brother went to school with his sister. We went to um, high school. What did your uh, parents do? You say they were professional people? Yeah. 
my father worked for, uh, was a vice president of an insurance company and then uh, worked in other uh, um, private sector uh, jobs in philanthropy in New York City. Uh, my mother worked for Philip Morris. And, you know, we would always just be here as a family all summer, you know. And so all of my childhood memories are of Sag Harbor. What's your favorite part of Sag Harbor? My favorite part of Sag Harbor is our beach. Um, yeah. It's the place I spent the most time. It's the place that I, I photograph the most now. Um, the beach of Sag Harbor, uh, Sag Harbor Hills, Azure Rest in Nineveh is, you know, one of the most beautiful beaches that I've ever been on mostly because it's where my heart is. How did you get hooked up into uh, working at uh, Sylvester Manor? Well, that was pretty much by accident. Um, I spent most of my working career in journalism, um, starting with working for you. And uh, from there I, I worked, um, I've always been a photographer, but I have always sort of worked within the photography journalism industry, first as a photo editor at an international news agency, and then for People Magazine. And uh, while I was at People Magazine, I've told the story often, one of the perks of working for Time Inc. was the free book table. So book publishers would send uh, editors uncorrected proofs of books. And uh, those that weren't going to be reviewed would be put out for the staff on the free book table. So if you, were, if you were a reader, it is the greatest perk imaginable. <laughs> and one day I picked up a book there that was called The Manor by Mac Griswold. And it said 300 years at a slave plantation on Long Island. And I was like, yeah, where? And looking at the back cover, it said Shelter Island. And I was like blown away. Like, what are you talking about? I've never heard of this. And reading the book was a real revelation because I had never learned any of this history or been exposed to any of it or had heard anybody talk about the fact that there had been on Shelter Island across the water that I can see from my window, you know, this plantation that enslaved uh, people from the West Indies. So that was like mind blowing. And uh, after going to visit and taking a tour, I was really deeply struck by it. And when I left People Magazine in 2014, I moved back to South Harbor to live full time uh, and to figure out what was next and thought, well, I'll volunteer at the manor and see you know, what comes to me. The photo industry was changing. Um, and I wasn't certain like where my place was in that. And little by little, Sylvester Manor just kind of entered into my consciousness and my heart. And I went from being a volunteer to being the curator. And now I'm the director of history and heritage. How, t t tell us a little bit about the canons that got buried. <laughs> so the canon, there, there's only one that we have at the manor. So on the front lawn, on the side lawn, there is an um, 18th century canon that was discovered on the lawn when uh, Mr. and Mrs. Andrew Fisk, who were the last full-time residents of the manor, and uh, Andrew Fisk was the 10th generation heir, they were putting in an irrigation system on the lawn in the 50s. And uh, the workmen digging the trenches to put in the irrigation struck 
some metal sounding thing. And when they dug it up, it was this cannon. Um, the belief is that it had originally been used for defense um, in those early years of uh, uh, New York going between the Dutch and the English uh, being in control. And it may have been used in defense against pirates who were often in these waters. Although Captain Kidd was a friend of Nathaniel Sylvester and there's even a ghost story about a buried treasure, but that's, a, that's another long story. <laughs> um, so now the, now the cannon is on display on the lawn. Uh, I, I thought I may, I may be wrong that they buried it because the British were coming or someone was coming and they didn't want them to take That it. may be it too. There's a lot of just, there's no real documented proof. It's a lot of family oral history, you know, stories passed down and suppositions. Well, the cemetery, there's a slave cemetery there. Yes. How, how does that look? There, are there stones? No. Uh, well, yeah, well uh, we call it the Afro-Indigenous Burial Ground. And we believe that it was uh, an ancestral burial site for the Manhansett people originally. And then when Nathaniel Sylvester came and brought enslaved people from Barbados, they used it as a burying ground for them as well. There are no, there are no tombstones um, or gravestones as we would know them. Um, there's no inscriptions, there's no listing of uh, who is buried there. There are large field stones placed in what can be sort of thought of as uh, seen as headstones and footstones in the, in, the, in the burial area. There was a large stone that was placed there in the 1880s by uh, Sylvester descendants that reads the burial ground of the colored people from Sylvester Manor from 1651. Um, the archeological studies that we've had done there over the years um, used ground penetrating radar about 20 years ago and determined that there could be up to 200 people buried there. Wow. This year we're, we're doing, uh, we've just finished the first phase of a new project uh, with the University of Massachusetts at Boston who have been our archeological team for 20 years. And in partnership with the Shinnecock Nation Graves Protection Warrior Society and other members of indigenous people from Long Island, to do a partnership study of the burial ground. And so we've cleared it out uh, again, which revealed more stones. Archeologists have mapped the site. We're trying to determine if it's bigger than was originally delineated by an old picket fence um, and uh, more advanced ground penetrating radar. 20 years has gone by and the technologies have, have improved. So they're gonna redo it this uh, next fall. Uh, to determine how many graves we can ascertain that are there. And when is Sylvester Manor? How does the public get to see all this? The grounds are open all year round, so you can come and walk the trails. Starting in June, uh, we offer, I offer um, historic walking tours. During the pandemic, the house, the manor house has been closed to the public. Um, so I've been doing tours around the property, telling stories of the history and of the people that live there. Hopefully this year we will be able to reopen the manor house for some smaller um, house tours. Um, but generally we open in the spring. And stay open until September. And stay open until October. I see. That's very, it's amazing. I've been on that tour too. 
Yes, well, you have to come back and hear the up, updated versions. Sure, there is one. Thank you for being on the podcast. I wanted to uh, let everyone know I'm speaking to Donna Marie Barnes, who's the director, is it at this point? Of I'm the director of History and Heritage. At the Sylvester Manor on Shelter Island. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Dan. Bye. Bye.